Welcome to our podcast from the Episcopal Diocese of Central Pennsylvania as we explore the way of love, practices for a Jesus-centered life. I'm Audrey Scanlon, the Bishop of Central Pennsylvania, and it's my privilege to interview people from around our region on how they're practicing and living into the way of love. The seven practices of the way of love are to turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. Today, we have the Reverend Ingrid Anderson, who's joining us to talk about the practice of worship and how it's drawn her closer to Jesus. So, Ingrid, thank you so much for coming today. It's good to be here. It's really great to have you. And I will say uh, just off the bat that you came immediately to mind when we started making up a list, um, especially in the area of worship, because of an experience that my husband and I had at your congregation uh, some time ago. So I'm hoping that you'll talk a little bit about that. But before we get there, could you just give us a short introduction to our listeners? I, as you can tell from my voice, am not from here. I am a South African and I'm an Anglican. I've been a priest for 15 years and came here in 2015 to begin my doctorate in adult education at Penn State in Middletown. And so I come with a different lens or a different expression of Anglican worship and as you can imagine in an African context worship is is slightly different from Episcopalian worship here um, but there are so many commonalities as well so mm -hmm. it's good to be here. Great well it's it's wonderful to have you here in our diocese and in this country while you're getting your studies done. So tell me, how is it that you, or maybe even your parish, St. Luke's in Mount Joy, how have you been living into the way of love this year? It's a new thing for us in the Episcopal yes. Church. We've been living into the way of love in a number of ways, beginning with learning. As I am an adult educator, of course, that's one of my passions. Mm -hmm. And so we've been learning, going back to basics, looking at the very basics about the Bible, about the Book of Common Prayer, things that we make assumptions about. We assume that parishioners know about these things. And then when you start asking questions, you realize that there are big gaps in mm -hmm. their knowledge. So we've been going right back to basics. We've been exploring different expressions of spirituality. So, in fact, we've formed an entire annual um, education curriculum, which we call Learning for Life, and it is intergenerational. So we're following the teachings of John Roberto and having intergenerational learning events on Sundays. So learning is important to us. Um, likewise, praying, as we, we will discuss um, the Teze services, and each of our Sunday services now ends with prayer for healing. So we don't have a specific healing service with members of the congregation who feel uh, so called will come together with me and we will lay hands and pray and anoint with oil um, at the end of each service. So going deeper into that prayer. Um, likewise, go. A number of my parishioners came earlier this year to invite Welcome Connect to learn 
what it means to be an evangelist. And, and I've always joked in the congregation that if there's one word I can say that will guarantee that everybody will look at their shoes immediately, <laughs> and that's the word evangelism. And yet, and yet, it's not what people imagine. And, right. and so getting people to realize that they are already evangelists and, and praising people who are already doing this and getting people excited and going out and doing things. So each of these we've been growing into in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. One of the things that sticks out for me uh, when I came to visit your congregation once, you had me bless a whole stack of, a whole table full of Bibles. I'm like, what are these for? <laughs> and you said, well, they're going in the pews. And they do. And that's not typical of an Episcopal church, that we would actually have all of the Holy Scriptures right in front of us in the pew. And that's you know one of the ways that you're leaning into this learning piece, I Indeed. think. Indeed. Because one of the things that I feel quite strongly about is it's very handy for us to have those printed, pre-printed um, lectionary inserts but it's a little bit like a McDonald's takeaway right. because it's not that, that you are missing the connection between the rest of the Bible and the context. And so what I will often do, if there's particularly interesting or contentious or tricky passage that we have um, in the lectionary for that Sunday, I respect my congregation members enough to go there, to dig into it and not to gloss over it. And so what we will do is we will literally have I will give page numbers, people will go into the Bible, we'll look at the passage, we'll look at how it compares to others. So it's almost as if we have kind of an exegetical journey during the sermon. And and people are becoming more comfortable with the Bible. In the beginning, there were huge eyes, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's working. And it's, it's, for me, it's a it's empowering people to go back to the Word because the Word is more important. It's even more important than the Book of Common Prayer. Oh boy. The Bible <laughs> is more important than the Book of You're Common Prayer. There. Well, the Book of Common Prayer is 80% words of Holy Scripture, so exactly. I think we're safe. Listen, that's the way of love. It's been um, given to us, packaged for us as a rule of life. Yes. And there are lots of us who have been ordained or, or even in, in our days of lay ministry knew about rules of life and had adopted one for ourselves. So I'm wondering, do you have, have you ever had a rule of life and mm-hmm. how does that intersect or not with what we're offering in the way of love? Yes, I have a rule of life. Way back in the 1990s, I became... Um, a novice in the Order of the Holy Paraclete, Mm. uh, which is a Benedictine Anglican um, order based in Whitby in England. And um, I was moving towards that, and then they had to move the sisters out of South Africa because the convent had grown so small that they weren't able to sustain themselves, and they went back to the mother house. Mm-hmm. So they kind of got put on hold there, And but I followed that, tried to follow that rule of life and follow that balance, and I've shared that with parishioners and even at the beginning of a calendar year, taken people through the process of, sure. in, um, of creating a rule of life. But recent, more recently, as I have become more and more involved over the years, which is hard not to do coming from South Africa and being in the context of the overthrowing of apartheid, becoming more and more aware and conscious and living into issues of justice and issues of uh, 
human rights and what God has to say about that. And so I'm tending more and more towards a Franciscan spirituality mm. mm-hmm. um, and and looking quite seriously at going in that direction. Um, at the moment, as you know, I'm in the middle of uh, my doctoral studies and I'm not taking anything new on at the moment, but that's probably going to happen when I finish. So this really encapsulates the main and key teachings and principles of a rule of life or even community life within right. a, a parish or in a, in a religious community. It's pretty comprehensive. It is. Um, I know I spent a week in a tent by myself this, this past summer. Excellent. Um, the intent was to get over the crisis of turning 60, but I also, while I was and there... Did you? Yeah, I did. It was good. But, <laughs> but one of the projects I did in that tent was to rewrite my rule of life. Ah. And it was before I was really thinking terribly um, consciously about the way of love and how we would be using it here in our diocese. And what I found out after I kind of crunched and, and worked on on writing my own rule of life and refreshing it, that a lot of it was exactly what the rule what the way of love is mm. offering us. So that was um, that was heartening actually. So I want to zero in a little bit on on the practice of worship, mm. which is the one that we had I had you in mind for. Um, can you tell me how you connect? to the idea of worship as an individual, as a priest, as a person who leads liturgy uh, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. One grows and matures into an understanding of worship over the years as a priest. And in the beginning, you're very focused on getting everything right mm-hmm. and um, on all the rubrics and all of that. And I've become, I've grown deeper into my spirituality, and that is reflected in my worship. For me, it's about two key elements. One is love. Mm. Everything Mm -hmm. in worship has to reflect love and welcome and belonging so that I'm not too concerned if there's a delay before somebody comes up to read one of the readings or somebody messes up with something, one of the acolytes or one of the Eucharistic ministers. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. God really doesn't mind. It's all about a generosity. And in fact, Corinthians tells us that in our weakness, God's power and glory is made manifest. And so... There's always this anxiety that people have about worship and are we doing it right Mm. and getting people past that into an understanding that we're connecting with God and we're connecting with one another. And that's the most important part of worship. And so it's it's fostering that. And the second most important thing for me is authenticity. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I truly, with my heart and soul and down to my bones, believe that as clergy we need to model that authenticity for people. So that if I can stand up and be real to people instead of on some platform of perfection or some abstract provider of, of, of extraordinary knowledge and, and I can be myself and I can be genuine 
and I can connect with people so that it gives them permission to be real and genuine mm. in church as well, mm. which allows a vulnerability, and in that vulnerability, we can grow. So if people can drop their masks and be themselves and be open to being loved and cared for and open to grow and open to say, I don't know this. That's the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. People pretend mm -hmm. they know all this stuff and it's okay not to know right. it. And, and that authenticity, I think, is one of the biggest gifts we can offer in leading worship. We have a, a pretty um, intimidating style of worship for people from outside our tradition who who happen to come into an Episcopal church for the first time and they're True. handed a bulletin and there's a prayer book and there's one or two hymnals in the in the pew and it can be overwhelming, I think. It can. And that sense that you're on the outside, um, if you look at communities of practice as a theory, you are starting on the outside and unless mm -hmm. somebody actually mentors you into the community of practice, you can hear I'm an adult educator, um, you're going to feel on the outside for a very long time. And so part of what we do at St. Luke's is to make sure that as people come in and we're small enough to notice immediately who's new, and the greeters will check whether people are familiar with Episcopal worship. If they're not, they're paired with somebody in the congregation who will mentor them and help them through this dance of bulletin and hymn book and book of common prayer. And I'm always aware as a priest, if there's somebody new in the congregation, to give page numbers and to kind of make things more welcoming for people. So just as you've been talking, it's occurred to me that we have made, or perhaps I have made, the um, assumption that when we use the word worship, we're talking about liturgy, Ah, right? And so the experience I want you to talk about um, is to reflect on the liturgy that Glenn and I attended at St. Yes. Luke's, which was a, a liturgy of Teze prayer and music. That's right. But what I want to point out <laughs> is how worshipful it was. It's extraordinary. So tell us about that. Well, for those who are not familiar with Teze, Teze is an ecumenical um, movement. It's a monastic order in France. It was founded in 1940 by R Brother Roger. And there are about a hundred different um, people in that community, Catholic and Protestant monks who live there from all over the world. And they are focused on, on just issues of justice and peace, which makes sense because they were founded in 1940. So that was the context in which they were founded. But what people think of when they think about Teze is the worship. And I was introduced to this many years ago in the context of my peace and reconciliation work mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. South Africa. And I think for me, the word that I would use to describe Teze is relinquishment. Because we come in, we manage God. We, and I'm speaking broadly here, but it's so easy to package God right. into liturgy and ticking all the boxes. And we've done this right and we've done that right. And we can leave without ever stopping to connect. It's so easy to do. And it's really challenging for us to, to stop and, and be still and listen. And that's what Teze is really about. It's, it's a service of about an hour, maybe a little less, and it is characterized by silence and chanting, beautiful chants, repetitive mm -hmm. chants that draw you deeper into a state of meditation 
of candlelight and of reverence. And it isn't driven by a priest or a person who's standing up there pushing the process or driving the process. It unfolds. Mm. And the way I like to follow the pattern that the Tezis community uses, which means that we don't just do a quick two or three minute chant. We go deep into mm -hmm. that chanting because neurologically that chanting stills your mind and, and actually helps to heal and release the stress. And holding candles, there's something magical and deeply mystical about candlelight and flame. It draws us closer to the Holy Spirit, if we think of the Holy Spirit. But chanting and then being silent. And in the beginning, people who are new to Teze will start to wriggle at about three minutes. And you can <laughs> see that looking at their yeah. watches and how long is they get, are they going to make me do this? And I... And I pace it so that the silences get longer in the service. And you can just see people giving themselves permission to relax into this. Teze has a huge following with younger people. And I think it's because they are finding that rootedness and that silence and that connectedness that the world doesn't provide for us. The world is a busy, demanding place. And to sit still for an hour is wasted time, right? Mm -hmm. In the world's eyes. But there's something in our Western individualist world, where we are driven by clocks and agendas, about setting that aside and coming to be present with God. And so when we look at the definitions that, that the, the, um, the way of love gives us for worship, to gather in community weekly, to thank, praise, and dwell with God. I think right. Teze is the dwelling. It's the pitching your tent mm -hmm. and being there and bringing yourself just as you are. No pretenses, no requirements, just yourself. And we have people coming from all over. We have people coming from different denominations. We have people coming from 30 miles away to come and be with us because Teze was quite popular, I think, probably about 20 years ago, and it's dropped away, and I think there's a real, real need for it now. And the fact that the, uh, the, the service is growing at St. Luke's is definitely an indicator of that. A couple of the things that I noticed when we were there, uh, one was the sense of, as we did the chants, that the more we got into the service, the less anxious I was about, okay, is this the last time we're going to sing this verse? Yes. <laughs> that, that there became sort of a communal sense of when the chant was finished. Yes. That was natural. And, right. And there's a sense of, for me, of melting into the experience. Right. And letting go and not feeling that you have to control the process, but in fact allowing it to be right. and yourself to be. And it's an extraordinary thing. I watch people arrive for the service and they are so different when they leave. It's mm -hmm. as if they've had a long drink at a well. It's wonderful. One of the other things I noticed the night that we were there was that right in front of us, there was a pew with a family with two yes. small children. Yes, we've had many families. Who loved it. And I so know. this is an intergenerational opportunity that, that um, I think it's just as appealing to 
you know, children as it is to adults. I learned something that night because I imagined that a six-year-old would struggle to sit mm-hmm. silent for an hour. And I, I really had to rethink my understanding of, of, of worship and of, of what little people can do because they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And we often get families. Yeah. So for you personally, or maybe as you consider Teze as a practice for St. Luke's, is there a growing edge for you in all of this? Um, A place in which you, I don't want to say could get better, but how are you developing in this practice? I think that there is a tension between dwelling or being with God and being in contemplation and being in action. And we are reminded that faith without works is dead. Mm. And so there is a temptation as Western individualists for us to do a little too much navel-gazing. And one of the reasons why I love the Teze community is that their worship is a springboard for action into the world. It's what gives you the energy. It's what replenishes you to go out and do something in the world. And that really is the intention here, is that rather than our becoming increasingly solipsistic and increasingly Mm. focused on our personal relationship with God, it draws us right back to the essence. When Christ was asked what was the most important, what were the most important laws? Love God love your neighbor. So in replenishing ourselves and growing in our relationship with God, we are empowered in order in able so that we are able to go out and take action in the world and do something in the world and as you know that is something that is very dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church in in South Africa, the Anglican church is a church of action in the world. Um, worship is a springboard towards making social change happen. So the growing edge is connecting those dots, not Indeed. just stopping by for, a, for a, a time of nurturing as much as nourishment Indeed. And the if work you, ahead. If you have a look at the prayers on the, the community, the Teze community website, and I always go and have a look at where their focus is before I plan for a, a service, their prayers are about issues, about how we respond in the world, where is God working in the world, what is the need in the world. And they are absolutely contemporary and relevant. Yeah. So we're sitting in my office right now, but if there were a knock on the door and we opened it and and Jesus was there. (laughs) How wonderful. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? What, What do you think you'd tell him about worship as you know it, as you experience it, or, or what, what would you like to tell them about the way of love? It's getting back to basics. You know, Jesus had so much to say to the church of his day about rulemaking and how difficult we make things for people and about arcane knowledge and those who are the bearers of the knowledge and those who are not. And Jesus really swept that aside and said, It's about relationship. It's about connecting. It's about knowing me and following me. And I think if he were sitting here gently with us at this third microphone, which I love is obviously clearly either here for Isaiah or Jesus, 
I think he would look with it, at us with compassion and ask us to come back, to come back to his word, to come back to the basics which are encapsulated in the way of love, to come back to the first and second commandments. And we always have that tension. We, we love formula and we love creating process and we love creating hierarchies, our human nature. And there's always this tension to come back. And we're living in a world now where not just the Episcopal denomination, but all denominations are being challenged to adjust and to shift and to meet the needs of the world around us. And Christ is saying to us, come back. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is working. One of the questions you, you, you had prepared for us was about why did the Holy Spirit right. want to talk about this? Right. It's because the Holy Spirit is working right now. And I'm meeting people who are involved with finding new ways for the Episcopal Church to be Episcopal Church mm -hmm. that meets the needs of the world around us. And I don't believe for a second we should be threatened by fewer numbers on a Sunday. I don't believe for a second we should hearken back to the golden age of the 1950s when the churches were full and we had full-time priests. Not at all. God is saying to us, listen to me. Mm -hmm. We need to go back to the basics and look at how we do church today. How do we meet the needs of the people today? Not just those who are within our walls, inside our red doors, or those heaven forfend who are cradle Episcopalians, which has to be said <laughs> in those words, but everybody. Yeah. That's what I think Jesus would say to us. He would say, my children, come back. Come back. Well, Ingrid, it's been great having you here. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us about the way of love, especially about worship and about how you're living into that at St. Luke's. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful to be here and have this wonderful conversation. It's great. The Episcopal Church has put forward a whole series of worship resources for the way of love. And what I've done is take the prayers of the people and broken uh, the different petitions broken up the different petitions to offer a closing prayer for us around worship. So let's, let us pray. Mm. Light of the world, you taught us to worship in spirit and in truth. Lead us to join with others to acknowledge the holiness of God, that the whole world might be united in the truth of your love. We pray, Jesus, guide us in your way in the way of love. Amen. Amen. And the St. Luke's Taser services are on the first Saturday of every month at 5 p.m. and we'd love to see you there. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.